Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. What we want to do um, is uh, I've got... um, We're going to do a special offering at the end because with this move... I mean, you know, this move's not permanent. It's it's a temporary move because our next move, we believe, we want to get into our to our own building, and there's different ways that we can do that. We can get into an industrial building, um, and we've got other areas of ministry that could also be a part, and that building could be well used. Um, we're looking at other other options. Um, we've been been sharing churches and been roommates for a while, and it's great, but. Um, we need more churches and more buildings because revival is going to break out in our city and we need multiple locations. Amen? So we're going to use our faith to get our place. Amen? And so this is a first step. And so, um, and our first step is we had to get a sound system. We had to get all kinds of different things. And we had to, we have to start, but it's ours. And then whenever we get our new location, it's ours to use. So um, we're going we're gonna to take an offering up for that at the end because I believe that all of us need to be a part of that. All of us need to be engaged in that. And, and as a church right now, um, one of the reasons we've made the move up here is because um, the finances have gone down. So what we've done as a church is the leadership team, uh, myself and Pastor Sheila, and uh, several of us have taken cuts in pay. Um, so that we're not putting a strain on, on the finances right now. Um, this has been a cut in that moving up here, it's cut our finances down for the rent portion to um, actually what we were paying. It was going to go up, uh, actually almost double. So um, we're, we're trying to be good stewards of our finances. So for me, I could be, you know, get a bad attitude and say, you know, why am I not getting, you know, who else works a job and gets cut back, you know, and, and have to take that, but I, I see it as a seed, and I see it that I, I can sow that into God's house, and one thing God told us from when we came into the city was, you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house, and we're well taken care of people, and on a very low income, and it, because my income from my one job is not my source. God's my source. And he gets me things with favor. He gets me things in, in ways, and Sheila and I, it just in multiple different ways. So um, we're not moved by these kinds of things. Does he want to bless you through your job and bless you with high pay? Absolutely. There are seasons that that can happen. There are seasons where I've, I've made in, you know, 27 years I've been here. I, I've made almost double what I'm making now at different times in the church season. But this is where we're at now. And it doesn't matter. God's still our source. But each of us need to do our part. And so what he wants us to sow now in this season of building. Pastor Sheila talked about this with building last week and started uh, just really um, bringing us into that, that season that we are in. It's a building season. And um, I'm going to build up upon that build upon it um, uh, with something that actually came to me in my devos. I've been reading uh, through uh, the Bible, and I've been going through, I just finished uh, Joseph, 
And um, I'm going now into Exodus. And this just jumped out at me. And I, it, it was a whole thing that, he, that God gave me, a message. And I believe it's very timely. Um, because how many want to last to the end? How many want to, like, you know, not just barely make it, but, like, let's go finish strong. Not just, like, barely squeak through. And, you know, Jesus gave us the way to be able to do that. And it's, it's so simple, but it's, and it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. See, we're always looking for the quick answer. We're always looking for, well, it's faith. It's a key. It's this one key. And we're looking for this one little simple thing, not realizing that actually the, the, the key that Jesus, and I, I'm not going to say this is the only key, but this is very central. And, and we're going to see it when we look at the scriptures. But, um, but it's, it's at the core of who we are and actually what Jesus was trying to bring when he came. It was like his final demonstration of, look, this is what will make you unstoppable. This is what will make you um, someone that this earth will be very sad if you leave. And, and that when you leave this earth, you will leave a mark. And I believe all of us want that, but I don't think all of us understand how to do that. Or, or what, it, what it means, you know, because it's not shouting revival, shouting revival, you know. I'm believing for revival, I'm believing for revival, yeah. But, um, and I believe there's sovereign moves of God that can happen. But there are things that we've been given to do as believers that as we just do them, it brings God into every situation. And so uh, I'm going to get into it. But um, so first of all, we're going to go to Exodus 1 and look at it here. In Exodus 1... Um, it says here, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died. So we're all going to die, right? Joseph died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. This is what jumped out at me. See, eventually there will be a new king that comes into power, and he will know nothing of what a former generation did for God that marked something for God. Use the example of the Salvation Army. William Booth, if you study the movement of the Salvation Army, we only know it as, uh, you know, they're, they're very much in helping with social injustices and helping the poor. But they were such a powerful movement in England in the time that they, there, there was so much transformation. There were so many people coming off the streets, getting their lives completely turned around, becoming these radical powerhouses that prayed. And when they prayed, things happened. And, and they were going all over the world. They were sending missionaries all over the world. They were the ones that started hospitals. They networked and got people together and were like, this is how we can help people on a greater scale. They started hospitals. They, 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 God gave them innovation, gave them a, a, abilities to be able to do things. And, you know, but generations go and those things get forgotten as people forget and, they, and it dwindles off. And Joseph, Joseph served his generation. He served two nations. He served the greatest empire of that time, Egypt, was the, one of the, was the strongest empire, and he, he served the weakest. Israel was 
I believe 78 people, the family was 78. 78 people. And Joseph's like, come on over to Egypt. We're going to keep you alive. And you're going to grow and you're going to flourish. And you're going to hang out here for 400 years, okay? And you're going to become 2 million people when you leave. They were over 200, 2 million people. There were 660,000 men and women and children. I'm probably being conservative because they had more than two kids. They multiplied. <laughs> they were bunnies. <laughs> like, let's fill the earth. <laughs> and so they, it's like moving Toronto. It's like Moses was like, okay, Toronto, we're packing up. We're moving across the desert. Come on. <clears throat> like, that was a big task. But they had forgotten what Joseph had done. They had forgotten how to serve a nation. They forgot to serve a nation, and they began to serve themselves. They became great. They multiplied, and they became great. What does that do? It does nothing. And you know what? We live in a culture where we are so caught up in. You know that the, the latest stats for, for the, the generation up and coming, the millennials and the one underneath, which are called what now? Gen Z. Guess what their, their number one thing is to be? Famous. Famous. Wow. That's going to change the earth. What is that going to do? It's going to do nothing. And Jesus gave us a key here, and we're going to look at this, because um, we need to see, like, what is going to leave a mark for him in the earth? Because in the end, that's what it's about. It's not about our life. It's not about getting the house and getting the car and getting the, the nice family and, and, you know, just the being happy, all those are byproducts of having Jesus in the center of your life. But, but the main thing is that Jesus would be known and that others would know him and that as they see us, as they see our lives, that they would be drawn because there's life coming from our, our, our whole, who we are, that we have something to give, that, that there, there's always something that, that when we see a need, it, 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 he meets it through us some way or the other but that we're we're there we're there as 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 god's voice we're there with his love we're there with his power this is normal and jesus was trying to show us this here um in the scriptures and so what we're going to look at is we see here that joseph came and um he served a nation then god said okay i'm going to deliver you um from a nation that they became slaves. So what ha happened was they became so they became great in number and they became strong. But what happened was Pharaoh got um, threatened by them and he oppressed them. And he says, I'm going to make them slaves. I'm going to oppress them. I'm going to hold them down. I'm going I'm to stop them as best I can. And the Bible says God heard the cries of the children of Israel. He heard their cries. And I believe that God hears our cries. How many believe we are more than we become? And I believe that's the cry of, 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 of the believers. The Bible says that all creation groans from the manifestation of the sons of God. So they, even creation is like wanting to see 
what we could become full of God. Amen? Full of God. And so they're groaning, and there's this groan in us, and it's like we're not yet what we, what we truly are. We are more than what we, we see right now. And, and this, this cry was coming out, and God said, I, I hear this. And he sends Moses, and, he's, and he begins to send a deliverer. And, and, and God says, I'm going to demonstrate my mighty hand, Moses. I'm going to, literally, I'm going to make you like God to these people. They're going to be afraid of you because you're going to speak on my behalf and I'm going to do things and I'm going to deliver you by a mighty, powerful hand. But at the very end, when he did all the plagues, I'm not going to go through all the plagues, but it's really cool because partway through the plagues, all of a sudden he says, I'm going to send um, this down, but it's not going to touch Goshen, which is the children of Israel. And God said, I'm going to make a distinction between my people and your people. When darkness hit the land, there was light in Goshen. Could you imagine that? So cool. <clears throat> right? And it's like, you'd be there, you're like, yeah, I'm in covenant with God. And you know what? And they would probably be like, there were Egyptians that were fearing the God of Israel. And you know that when, when God gave the last command where they were to take the lamb, and this was the Passover, and this is very significant because Passover marked the very beginning of the calendar, the very beginning of God beginning to establish those festivals that, that marked something that he did. And Passover was the start. And it was a lamb they took into their house, and they, they you played with this little lamb, and then they killed it and cooked it and ate it and took the blood. It's like, ah, yeah, it is a gory book. Because why? Because our sin is bad, and, and something has to pay for it. And we can't just treat it like it's nothing. And, and God was like, no, this has to be done. And mark this blood on the doorpost. And, and, the, and wherever the, the blood is on these doorposts, whether it was an Israelite or an Egyptian, whoever did it, the mark was the blood, not whether you were an Israelite or an Egyptian. If an Israelite did not do what they were supposed to do, their firstborn would have died when that last plague went over. But after that last plague, they were like, get out of here, take all our gold, take all of our, they just like, just, and they, they plundered every, all their wealth. And they just, they took it and they're just like, okay, let's go. God has no problem. If he has to take care of things, he can take care of things, right? He can. And so there, that was the season and they, and they walked out. But but the Passover marked it, and God was like, this is going to be an ordinance that you remember year after year after year. This is something you've got to remember. And Jesus himself, he remembered it, and he actually celebrated. It was his last festival before he left this earth. He celebrated Passover, and he was that lamb. He was that last. If you understand, I can't get into the whole thing, but there was a, a, a one piece or one goblet that, that wasn't to be drank except for the, the Messiah, the, the final Passover, and he drank that. And he became that final Passover lamb. And this is what happened at the Passover. So let's go to it. It's in um, John 13. So... <clears throat> This is an extremely important time because Jesus here 
It's his last moments with his disciples. And then everything's going to go topsy-turvy. And how many think that it's going to be very important that you give a message that is going to stick with you? It's not make sure you brush your teeth before you go to bed. Make sure you turn off all the lights, you know, so you don't waste electricity. You know, it wasn't that kind of a thing, right? It was something very important. So we're going to look at this. So it says here, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Isn't that cool? He didn't get sick and tired of them. He didn't give up on them. He didn't decide, you know what, I'm going to start over again and find a whole different crew. He loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, listen to this, that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God, and that he would return to God. Isn't that a secure position? He wasn't moved by what's going on all around him. He wasn't moved even by what was going to happen. He was going to die on a cross. It was going to be a horrible, horrible death. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. And this is who we are. This is our elder brother, Jesus. And he says, like, we are to be like him. And it says here, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to... Well, let me just stop there. If you understand Jewish culture, the servant was to wash your feet when you came in from outdoors. Every, everyone wore sandals, and if you're in Israel, I have never been, but I've seen it, and my mother-in-law's been there, my parents have been there. It's very dusty. It's very dry. And you wear sandals, and your feet are, like, brown from dust, right, just from walking. So when you come into a place, you, your feet get washed. Now, back in that day, servants would wash your feet. It was the servant's job to wash your feet. It was a lowly job. You didn't do that for someone that was visiting. You didn't wash their feet. The servant did it. And Jesus took off his robe, which represented his authority. He took it off. He grabbed a simple little towel, and he started washing their feet. So he, how many know that's a pretty strong demonstration? This is, and we, we were like, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus does. It's like, no, that's not what Jesus had to do. That's what he wanted to do because that's who he was. And so what he did was, it says here, he came and he started washing the feet. And of course, good old Peter. Don't you love Peter? And so it says here, um, when he came to, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Peter said, no, you will never, ever wash my feet. And you know what? He wasn't doing that in a disrespectful way. He was like, you're my teacher. You're my rabbi. I honor you. I can't make you wash my feet. That is a servant's job. 
Like we seem to think, oh, you know, Peter was being defiant. He wasn't. It was, he was trying to honor him as his master and his rabbi. And so it says here, um, he says, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. And then it says, Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon ex- Peter explained then, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. He's an all or nothing guy, isn't he? Don't you just love him? He's like, just wash me all over. And he's like, and Jesus is like, like a person who, who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. In other words, and this is a good reminder for us, is we are clean by the blood of Jesus, but life and the things we walk in, we need to let Jesus wash our feet. There are things that we walk in in life that we just walk in and we forget that we, we have to take that humble position and let him wash our feet. We say, oh, I, I got this one. No, we don't. You know, there's things in life that get thrown at us. They sideswipe us and we're like, no, you know what? My feet were dirty there and I, I needed Jesus to wash me. And I, I didn't take that position. And, and Jesus says, like, unless you let him do that, we can't partake of who he is. We need to be in that position to receive. And then he says, um, he says, and you are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Now, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was do- doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to what? Wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Aren't you, don't you love Jesus? He gives us an example. And this is why it's Jesus, guys. People are like, well, what about this? No one did what Jesus did. No one. No one demonstrated to the full extent what Jesus did. No one. No other leader in all of creation has gone to the extent that Jesus went to on every level. I could spend years just talking about all the things and the extent that Jesus did because it's so far-reaching. And he says, if, if I've done this, I'm expecting you to do this. I've given you this example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. Amen? Amen? <laughs> We're not greater than our master. If they persecuted him, guess what? They're going to persecute you. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now, I love this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you when you think about them and ponder them. (laughs) And you just kind of, oh, isn't that nice? (laughs) No, when you do them. (laughs) Do, do, do. He's all about doing. He's all about doing. Because, see, and this is why, like, when we say, oh, I believe in God. Well, 
I sometimes wonder that when people just flippantly say that because our life has to speak louder than our words. And sometimes, you know, you look at a life and you look at what it's doing and it's like, it's not showing belief in God. It is not showing belief in a higher, greater love. It's not showing uh, uh, the, the magnitude of a God that you would sacrifice your life for and that you would lay down your life for and that you would literally empty yourself so that you could give what he has given you to a generation. We, 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 we say things, but are we demonstrating it? Because Jesus says, blessed are you if you do these things. In other words, there's a blessing behind doing it. And doing it is hard. Sometimes it's hard. In fact, most of the time, it is hard. It's hard when it starts. But it is not hard once you get going. It's like this. The world's pleasure leads to pain. But God's pain leads to pleasure. When you do something for God, many times the initial start, how many know praying when you don't want to pray is hard? And most of the time when you don't want to pray is the time you need to pray. Right? But when you do it, when you literally just say, God, you're God, and, and I, I'm going to take you at your word, and I'm going, to, I'm going to honor you because of who you are. When you step into it and you do it, as hard as it might be at the beginning, all of a sudden, it becomes life-giving. All of a sudden, it, it, something that was pain turns to pleasure. And, and, and a lot of times, what we don't do is we don't, we don't push past that. We're just, we're waiting. We're waiting for something to happen, and Jesus is like, no. No, it's right there. Do it. Serve this generation. Serve those that are around you. Serve, serve me in this generation. Be obedient to what I want you to do. And, and many times what he wants us to do are things that actually it's not convenient. It's not, it's not, um, it's not culturally uh, just the norm. It's an upside-down kingdom. Right? It makes no sense. And, and, and we'll, we'll go to that because here Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's doing a bit of a training thing in Mark 10. Let's go there. Um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were the sons of thunder. That was Jesus' nickname for them. They were like these firecrackers. And they were like, they were um, revolutionists. They were, they were these guys that were radical. Most of the, the disciples were, were teenagers. Um, they were these young guys. You realize he didn't get any Bible scholars here? You got fishermen. You got guys that would like, they, you take them as who they are. And he could work with that. And, and so these guys, James and John, they came over and spoke to, to Jesus. And they said, teacher, they said, we want, we want you to do us a favor. How I many you know when people ask that, you're like, oh, I don't know. Said, so Jesus says, what's your request? And he asked, and they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit on the place of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. <laughs> I know nobody here would do that, right? You're walking with Jesus. You look just too, way too humble to even want to be like that. But guys, this is what we have to remember. These guys were handpicked. There were crowds and Jesus was like, okay, you're going to be the 12 that I'm going to work with. You're going to be my right-hand guys. These guys knew they were in there with him. 
And so these two decide we're going we're gonna to get the best seats, right? If you don't ask, you're not going to get them. And you know what? Jesus didn't have a problem with this. It says here, but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? So he didn't say, who, why are you even asking that? That's so selfish. And, and you know, just, he didn't even do that. He was actually glad that they were like wanting at least to, to aspire to something for him. And, but he's saying here, guys, are you able to drink of this? Are you able? Um, and they said, oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Wow. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or, or my left. So Jesus himself is saying, look, I don't even have that right to sit on. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. Jesus himself was in an absolute position of submission to his heavenly father. You know why he did the miracles he did? Because he was in complete submission to the authority of God. So when you're submitted under authority, you have authority. See, what happens is, a lot of times, we're not submitted under authority. We're doing our own thing. And therefore, we don't have authority in that area in our life because we've not surrendered it to God. God can't have full reign in that area. And I believe he's working that in a lot of us, and he's bringing us to that place of obedience because the Bible says even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. He had to learn obedience. How many know obedience doesn't come like that? Anyone? It just all of a sudden, you're like, no, it doesn't come that way. But here Jesus was saying, look, guys, you, yeah, you are going to drink of that cup. And we know that James was beheaded. He was killed by the sword. And John, John, he had a different kind of suffering. He had the baptism of suffering in that they tried to kill him. There's several accounts where they tried to boil him in oil. He wouldn't boil. So they're like, we're going to shove him on an island. And what does he do? He gives, writes the book of Revelations. And he just keeps giving us more of the Bible. But he has to live for God in suffering. Sometimes it's easier to die for God than it is to live for him. Because it's an ongoing suffering. But Jesus said, you guys will do this. And they did. In fact, if we follow all the disciples, uh, it's very interesting, their, their deaths. They paid an incredible price. But he says here, I have no right. God has prepared those places for those he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had, had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, and this is very important, guys, because this is where most of our battles are. We battle for significance. We battle for validation. We battle for identity. These are all things that we, in our culture, we are just grabbing for. 
And it's all found in our Heavenly Father. It's all found in him. And, and Jesus knew this, and this is what he had inside of him. So he called them to, together, and he says, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials and flaunt their authority over those under them. How many know that's true? Right? But among you, it will what? It will be different. And how will it be? Whoever wants to be a leader among you must what? Must be your servant. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's actually, it's a command. We must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Wow, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Doesn't that just like, you're like, Ugh. anyone like receiving that with joy, joy, joy? Why? Because we don't know how heaven operates. We, we, don't, we don't understand that when we take that position, that we've got more power and more life and more authority than we could ever have if we would take that position in every situation. And it is a struggle many times because we self-preserve ourselves. It's human nature. You know, we just, we don't like dying. Who likes dying? We, we fight death. Right? It, it, it amazes me. I've, I've been, you know, I've seen my mother pass and I was there. And you know, at one point she's like, I mean, how do you die? Like she was dying of cancer and she just, she wanted to die, but she didn't know how to die. Who tells her how to die? No one could, you know, come back and say, this is how you do Like, you don't know. And, and there's this struggle that you want to live. You want to live. And it's, it's this. But in life, Jesus is like, look, you've got to be able to take. It says here, um, but among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a, le a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, his whole attitude from the very time he came to earth was, God, what do you want me to do? What can I bring that you have to this generation? From the very time he came onto this earth, it was about others. It was about what can I give? What, what have you put in me? Or what are you going to go do through me as I give to others? What is it? What is it? What is it? He was always positioned and put in a place where he was giving. He wasn't looking to be served. He was serving. He was serving. What would happen if we had that attitude everywhere we went? What would happen if you went to your job and your attitude was, I'm not ready to be, well, I'm not waiting to be served. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be the best, and I'm going to honor the Lord in my giving. 
and I'm going to honor my, the Lord in everything that I'm doing, in your family, in, in, out in society, wherever we are, that we're not looking for what can I get, what can I get, but God, what do you want to do? What do you, where, do, where do you want me to give? What is it that you have in me to be able to give around me? It's a whole different way of thinking. And Jesus is like, we're waiting for this, you know, this thing to hit us and revival to just hit. No, it's like, no, we need to allow Jesus to give us his thought and, and let that become who we are. It's like, Jesus, I see who you are. And I don't want to be like the ch children of Israel and forget what Joseph did and just live for myself. And a whole generation forgets how one man saved a nation and what that did. But let it be forgotten. Look at what we're dealing with, even with veterans now. You know, we have a day where we're supposed to remember them, and every year it's less and less and less. People are just kind of, they don't see the value of that price that was paid for the freedom. And, and those things can be so lost if we don't come back and we don't realize, no, this was given, and there was a price that was paid for this. And are we willing are we willing? Are we going to say, Jesus, I want to be that one. I, I want to leave. I want to leave. I want to find my life. And, and Jesus gave us the antidote to find your life. How, how many want to find your life? Well, the way you find it is you lose it. Again, topsy-turvy kingdom. Absolutely weird. We're going to end with this. It says here in Mark 8, 34. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Well, that's not so great. <laughs> Jesus shoots it straight. You know what I like about Jesus? He's not candy coating it, and he's not beating around the bush. He's like, guys, this is it. If you want to follow me, you got to give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. How many have found that in areas that you hold on to? Trevor's first one, put his hand up. Probably at my feet. <laughs> because those things we try to hold on to when God didn't give them to us, we lose them. And as believers, it's the worst thing we can do because God has something better for us, but we hold on. But he says if you, if you try to hang on to your life, you lose it. But if, if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Amen? And there is nothing more freeing then even when God pre presents you with a new sacrifice where you have to step into something and it's like, okay, he's requiring you to lay your life down again, whether it be, it's, there's multiple ways that that happens. It happens through marriage. It happens through kids. It happens through um, jobs and things he calls you into. It happens into new doors that he wants you to step into. There's multiple times when you have to lay your life down again, Right? It's not like it's one time and boom, it's done. It's like, no, then there's this other thing. And he, he says, no, I want you to give this to me. And when you finally get past the struggle and you willingly give it to him, 
How many have had that freedom where it's just like, it's there. It's there for every single one of us. When we lose our life for his name's sake, when we actually know it's him that has asked me to do this. I'm not talking about where a a church guilts you into something or a person guilts you into something and you lay your life down for that. I'm talking about when Jesus, when he speaks to your heart, when he asks you, when he requires something from you, when he asks you to lay it down, when you give it to him, how many have sensed where he gave life back far more than you ever gave up? And guess what? That's there for us every single time. Every single time. He says, you're going to find it, and you're going to save it. And then he says, and what, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Like, wake up. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? It's like, oh, I got this success. I got this. I got. It's like, yeah, and you're giving up your soul for it. You've literally compromised this. You compromised this. What, so you can have this? You're going to exchange your soul for it? Is anything worth more than your soul? Anything. That's a good checkup question for us. These are the questions he's been asking me. Because in sobering times where he says to be sober and alert, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Daily. Sometimes minutely. We, we're in situations where it's like, no, I need, to, I need to remind myself of this. Is there anything worth more than my soul? And then he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, it's about him. And are we willing to do it for him? And in his name. Because there is so much shame right now. And you are so belittled if you do things in the name of Jesus. It's, it's like you're this weak little thing that needs Jesus. Or, oh, that's a nice little thing for you. You know, a nice little fluffy thing on the side of your life. No, no, sorry, this is my whole life. I will die for him. It's not candy-coated and soft and sweet. It's actually strong. It's actually more powerful than anything else in this world. So don't minimize it to anything less than that. When this world crumbles, he will not crumble, and I will be with him because I chose him, and I'm not going to be ashamed of him. And we have got to be bold, bold, bold in our faith. Bold in who we are in these last days. You know, in the city, they want the church to be this social justice thing, but they don't want the Jesus tacked onto it. There's this whole, just, just, you know, do the good things, do the good things. It's like, yeah, I will in the name of Jesus. I will in the love of Jesus. Yeah, and I will be bold about why I'm doing it, because that's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it just because I love people. That is part of it. But I do it because Jesus loves these people even more. And he has something that I can't give them. Far more than the food or anything else I would give them. And if I don't go with that and carry that, and if we aren't carrying that, 
What are we doing? If we're not a part of those things, and I wish we could have played, um, I didn't have the video, I'll have to play it next week, because I was wanting to show how the, for the offering, how the church is powerful when we're united together, um, Christ for all nations. We support their, their ministry as a church. They do humongous evangelistic crusades in Africa, primarily Africa, but they're all over the world. And they, I wanted you to see one. And they have multiple healings, cripples walking. It's amazing. And, and they've had crowds of up to 3 million people in one meeting. Like there's people in the world that are hungry for God, that are screaming for the truth. And these crowds are shouting and they want Jesus and they're, they're, they're wanting Jesus. We can't do that individually, but we're a part of that because of what we give and multiple people that give because it costs millions of dollars for that to happen. And so as, a, as the church, as his people filled with him, we can do so much. Amen? And when we lose our lives, we find it. And so how do we lose our lives? We ask him, what do you want me to do? What is it that you want me to give? And be willing to do what he asks you to do. It's simple. And so we're going to do it. If I can have um, <laughs> guitar band. <laughs> because we are going to, um, let's stand because I want you to, we want to change our position. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc.